Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Horticulture Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Tom Hart Dyke from Lunningstone Castle in Kent. Now Tom became famous for having been kidnapped in 2000 in Colombia when he was on a plant hunting expedition. He was held captive for nine months by park gorillas and kept sane by collecting orchids and other jungle plants to make into the design of a world map during that time. And after his release, he wrote a book called The Cloud Garden, a best-selling book, and starred in the Save Lullingston Castle BBC TV series in 2006-2007. Now, his world garden at the castle is going strong, and Tom remains a horticultural hero of mine and many others, thanks to his passion for plants. So welcome, Tom. Matt, thanks for having me. Great introduction. What an introduction. That's brilliant. Oh, well, crikey, well, you are. I mean, I've, re- I've, I've read your books and I can't, I've, I've got to admit, I haven't read too many gardening books, not as many as I should have done, but I've read yours and they're enormously entertaining. But another entertaining thing that's been going on in the castle very recently is that I hear that the um, the pop group Steps have been filming at the castle. Is, is that true? That's right, Matt. You never quite know at Lullingston what's going to happen next. And you get these uh, random phone calls. And yes, it was. It was for their latest vi- vi- video, 100 Years, is it? Or 100 Days of Winter, I don't think it was called. I, I know them a little bit, Steps. I- I've heard the tragedy song. And it-, it was great fun. But they were filming a winter video with dahlias in full bloom and all the alder trees by the lake in full leaf. So it had to be in black and white. That's, a- that's amazing. That must have been... That's... Uh, as you say, you never quite know what's going to happen to the castle. Um, now, have you managed been have you managed to get away from the castle recently? Because obviously, in the last uh, couple of years, because of COVID, travel has been been pretty difficult. Have you been been abroad? 
No, we, we tried to. So we, we've had a look at a couple of trips. I say we, either me and mum or going on my own to, to look at plants in the wild, which, as you know, I'm, I absolutely makes my blood rush with excitement. I absolutely love it. Um, no's the answer, Matt. But me and mum managed to go beginning of last year, just before, before the first lockdown, to Madagascar at the end of January, beginning of February 2020. God, it feels like a lifetime ago. And we saw the awesome avenue of baobabs in Morandava on western Madagascar, the most iconic of all baobab trees. It was absolutely, I don't think it was even a horticultural experience to me, it was almost a, a spiritual one. It was fantastic to see these plants in the wild, which improves your husbandry, in my case, of seeing them in Madagascar, of trying to grow these things in a greenhouse at Lullington, trying to learn what conditions that they were growing in. But that was the last trip, and I'd love to get to a and some of these island communities, Socotra off the Yemenese coast, when it's much safer, I add. So what's plant hunting like now? What are the restrictions around plant hunting these days for you? It's really tough. I've got to be honest, Matt. I mean, you've basically got to pretty much plan your trip in advance to what you're going to collect and have it all noted down and written, agreed with the various authorities. Well, I mean, you try and go abroad to find these plants, but you don't know what you're necessarily going to see. So if you find something that's new, say, and interesting, or a new variety, or potential new cultivar of a, a salvia in, in Mexico and so on, it's very difficult to legally to bring back plants. And people think I'm working with these big organisations, and I'm not. It, it's just me bringing back plants back to, to Lullingston to share with, with visitors that come to see the, the World Garden. So it is tricky. However, the support of horticultural bodies, whether it's been the RHS, whether it's been Wakehurst Place, the wonderful Millennium Seed Bank, they're giving plants to me because we open as a, albeit a small, a more modest a botanical tourist attraction. So we do have quite a few people donating plants from expeditions that are done properly, if you like, are still done. So you can still, plant hunting trips still occur, but it is much tricky for just me on my own to go abroad and bring back plants, especially certain countries. And it's often my favourite places, South Africa, Mexico. It's very, very tricky to bring back plants from now with all the restrictions. So it's such a shame that you go and see these plants in the wild, you see them building a golf course or some sort of development, possibly making certain species extinct in the wild, some perhaps that haven't even been discovered yet, and yet you can't go and collect a little bit of seed to bring back and share with um with the british people you know it's such a shame but on the other hand we have such a, a great array of horticultural entities in this country that are able to still plant hunt and we do benefit from that at lullingston and we are running out of space map no. as well it's only i say only a two acre walled area the world garden as you say laid out as a, a mini map but Honestly, it's jam-packed with horticultural treasures, thousands of things. So the pressure to go abroad and perhaps bring back a new plant of interest to fill a new space. I mean, I love it, as you know it. It really turns my blood cells from red to green. I love it. But on the other hand, space is becoming an issue. And we're so pleased to have managed to, and I'm so pleased to have managed to have gone abroad to bring back plants, especially in the early 2000s. So we are, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. But it is a shame in a way that it is becoming so restricted. No, that is tough. Now, have, you, have you been back to Central America in recent years? 
I haven't. My mum will not allow me back to, to the Panamanian-Colombian border. <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. it was 21 years since I was, I was kidnapped there. should never have gone looking for these, these rare orchids. I mean, I'm not recommending it, obviously, but after being kidnapped, we saw some fantastic orchids. Our captors took us right up to the, um, the remote regions of the Darien Gap, where no human had been to these places. I mean, orchids were just dripping from the trees. It was an awesomely amazing botanical experience, but also very death-defying, but knows the answer. I have been back to Colombia once to give a talk, actually, through the British um, the Book Council, and that was amazing in the old uh, Spanish colonial ca ca capital, Cartagena, on the Caribbean coast there. That was uh, a very tear-jerking experience. I mean, I was shaking like a leaf at the airport. I was petrified hearing the language around me, um, smelling the two-stroke fuel in the cars, uh, you know, just smelling things that you'd smelt those years ago in captivity. And it was petrifying, but I was around friendly faces and friendly people, and it was a fantastic experience, very cathartic, very therapeutic to, to go back. But I think the Darren Gap, I'll never be returning there. No, it's great that you managed to to sort of conquer that and get back, get back there. I mean, how, how do you feel about that experience now, 21 years on? I wouldn't take a, a second of it back. Now, people go, well, what do you mean? You know, you, you nearly died so many times over 10 months in captivity, Tom. But looking back at it, Matt, with the garden that's developed here, as an absolute result of that experience, I wouldn't take a second of it back. So many positive things have come out of that. Talking to you today, you know, so many things, however indirectly and randomly, have taken place because of that absolutely bizarre experience. And I know life is a, it's funny, isn't it? The, the avenues and corridors you go down and doors you might open that might lead somewhere else, as you know. But I have to say there's a real sense, which Mum has always said once I was safely back, that you were meant to do that. However stupid me and a friend were doing that 21 years ago, almost to the day we got released, actually, the 10th of December and the year 2000, almost to the day. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't regret a minute of it, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, now, you're talking of your mum. You're from quite a gardening family. Now, I've even seen your cousin talking about gardening on telly. That's right, <laughs> yeah, Miranda Hart. She, she, she's doing well. She's, it's just that enthusiasm as well for the world of plants and just being outdoors and completely and utterly losing yourself. You can, I, I call it you know, complete botanical escapism, and I just absolutely love it. And if you can share it by being open here at Lullington, as we are, or with the volunteers, we're almost entirely run by by volunteers and apprentices and so on at Lullingston, a small team that we are, and just sharing that enthusiasm with people and visitors. And, of course, the love for grow, growing things, germinating things, taking cuttings, grafting, whatever it might be, is just absolutely brilliant. And it was my granny, really, uh, my mum's mum, who was such an inspiration to me, Matt. Oh, honestly, at the age of three, she gave me a packet of carrot seeds and a trowel. You've got to start somewhere. And I never looked back. She was such an inspiration and she just turned to me when I was five, apparently, I can't quite remember, and she said, Tom, get your hands dirty, learn from your mistakes. If you don't lose plants, you haven't learned anything and off you go and gave me this trowel. And, and, and that was that. So I'm just self-taught really like Granny was and just that enthusiasm and passion. And if you've got those two things, whatever you're into in life, you just go and do things. Does Miranda get down to help you ever? 
She doesn't particularly, no. She gets her hands dirty occasionally with helping out. And we see her at Christmas. Not this Christmas, unfortunately, but we did the other Christmas. And she's just really supportive. And her mum really inspired her, Aunt Dee. And where they live in Hampshire, she's got a wonderful garden. She opens for the NGS and National Garden Scheme and, and all sorts. And she's really inspired me too with her love of, of salvias and Penstemans and but Miranda was inspired by her mum and for me it was it was granny amazing person granny now moving on to other matters climate change COP26 um, you know global warming you've got a world garden with plants from all around the world and um, just before we started here we were talking about the lack of frost this winter um, but you've got vulnerable plants there. So what effect has, has climate change made on the world garden and the plants you're trying to grow? It's really interesting. The extremities are, are what really have fascinated me uh, since the last consistent cold that most of the UK had, especially the southeast, which was November 2010 to the beginning of January 2011. There hasn't been much cold. But when it's come, wow. So beast from the east, February 18, 2018. And even last year with the cold or the wet July, we've never known a July like it was torrential the, the, this year. So we've adjusted slightly to it. What's interested me, Matt, is the range, the thousands of different plants that we're growing in their miniature native lands in this map that we've got at, at Lullingston in, in the garden is that actually most plants seem to albeit over a relatively short period of time, the last few years, with all these extremities, have adapted seemingly really well. We have, and we make sure now, that we do bring things in a little earlier. So we are bringing in things like the tender perennials, aeoniums, those lovely succulents from the Canary Islands. Um, Mexico, we cover up with a, a temporary, albeit very large, but a 55-foot-long uh, temporary polytunnel. We stick to the dates we've always done it or slightly earlier we're not fooled by these very mild novembers that we've been having nearly a decade of hardly anything below minus five in november now in the old days pre to 2010 by the guy Fawkes night if you hadn't got things in even if they were half hardy they were dead or badly damaged now they could be out right now this morning uh, we December the 6th and there's still there's would still be okay but we're still sticking to our routine or slightly earlier because of these extremities so we really are noticing that but overall the plants seem to be relatively okay one thing I would say is also the late spring frosts are much rarer now overall in the UK yes but when they come at oh my goodness there's a lavender field near near us and they planted out ten and a half thousand plugs last May and were at they lost a lot. They lost the lot on May the 14th, 2020. Uh, yeah, they were absolutely, they lost the whole lot. And it was absolutely amazing. So, and then it was 15 degrees the next day, then 25 over two or three weeks later. So it was absolutely amazing, the extremities and uh, peaks and troughs that you get with a period of weather that we haven't had before. So we're just adjusting slightly, being cautious. We don't want to make a mistake from lifting things, putting things out, always at the end of May, that traditional rule, sticking to it. 
sticking to it. Or if anything, actually, maybe let's make it the beginning of June, just in case we get a late frost really late in June that we wouldn't have had before. So just being a bit more prepared and watching that forecast like an eagle. Oh, I'm glad I asked you that. You're certainly you're certainly closer to to those changes than than most people with having all those uh, plants from all, all around the world. Now you say the garden's getting full. Um, so how are you going to get around that when, when the garden's getting full? And what what other plants have you got there? Matt, it's absolute chaos. I mean, I've never used a pair of secateurs and a fantastic pruning saw as much as I have the last few years. And if anything, and I'll be honest with you, there has been some criticism the last two seasons in particular, especially this year with all that lush growth. Tom, we can't get down the path. Tom, that thorny Coletia from Paraguay is all over the path. We can't get down that without stabbing ourselves. And it's difficult because things are doing far better than anticipated because of generally the milder winters in the last the last 10 years. So we are really having to make some horrible decisions that plant that tree has to go or if it prunes or coppices really well it's cut to the ground and regrow there's so many examples of plants in the garden we've had to do that too and we'll have to matt these next few months are crucial next season is going to be absolutely fantastic with the resurgence in interest in groups again um, with covid just perhaps not quite as bad as it was so there's lots more interest in being outdoors and in gardens and we've got to make the place look good so that challenge of pruning things and tidying things up is the biggest one that we've got and and having all the events we've got lots of different events whether it's an orchid show or medieval weekend uh, the british cactus and succulent society are representing us next year at the end of september for a mexican weekend that we've got fantastic cactus show that cross-section of things that we do we've got a new cactus house to open for for next year so just doing lots of things that each year when visitors come there's something different for them to see so they always feel like you're doing something that's extra or new for them to see each year but the pruning is unbelievable so we're drafting on favors of friends anybody who can chip in and the barrowing the rubbish heap so far from the garden so it's going backwards and forwards with the barrow and putting the cacti in this pile and this in this pile to make sure that we don't pick up prickly things and but yes a lot of pruning to answer the question and lots of exciting things for next year it's going to be jam-packed have you been doing virtual tours in you know when during lockdown we did a few um, bits and pieces, but the main one that we did, which was fantastic uh, last year, was for the National Garden Scheme because various lockdowns and reopenings, we didn't reopen till after our National Garden Scheme Day, which was June the 19th last year. That's right. So what we did is a virtual tour for the NGS, and I've never done one before and done a couple since. And I have to say, it really is something for the future to do, especially when we're closed. So we are quite seasonal. So we closed during the winter um, so we closed from the end of um, October for Halloween until the beginning of April so people are like well what's Tom doing I think I go on holiday for four months five months um, but as you're well aware during the winters when you get the jobs done because if you don't you can't open in spring because the garden isn't ready isn't ready so yes we're doing lots more tours of the virtual tours and just lots of photos for the website and and videos of what we're doing to drum home that point of 
actually the majority of the physical work, whether it's pruning or planting or moving things, is done during the winter months. No, no, indeed. I mean, you mentioned uh, cacti and succulents and aeoniums. They've taken off massively in the last few years in people's homes. How do you feel about that? Do you, do you think that, um, that that trend is going to continue? And where do you think that's going to go? It's shivers of excitement talking about it. Hasn't it, Matt, taken off? I have um, almost during the, the start of COVID. I mean, I've never known houseplants to be so popular. Dare I say it? I mean, in some magazines you read, it's more about indoors than outdoors. And it's to be it's to be absolutely encouraged. We have never, in our small little nursery that we've got, we've never sold so many little plants, little plugs of grassula, the money plants, um, whether it's an aeonium or whether it's a little cactus in the little small little pots. But kids love it. But it's not just kids. It's a broad spectrum of people who aren't necessarily specialists in these plants but are just really interested because they're often reasonable to buy because of the demand there's a huge variety now in the UK and beyond and also they're pretty easy to grow in household conditions with not much light or or lots of light or in the bathroom and I think it's a great thing to be encouraged and the benefit of all of this as I've just said the diversity of plants for sale in garden centres and nurseries I have never seen such a well-stocked every garden centre you go into all year round now has the best collection of houseplants I have ever seen I mean it's fabulous I'm seeing a bit of an indoor outdoor theme for next year for instance aeoniums which are sort of uh, tolerance of minus five or whatever um, people taking them in t- taking them out and I guess you were a bit of a, a pioneer for, for that with your world garden um, pioneering plants which could stay outside in in the UK um, do, you, do you think that, you know, your your uh, your pining work is, is all coming to pass now? I think so. And I think it's really great at that stage when we started in 2005 with, as you say, moving in and out. Two and a half thousand different plants we did in and out for the winters, which, of course, were harsher then too, into areas because we hadn't got areas to protect them, which we now have more polytunnels. And I, I think certainly what I've loved about doing the garden is whether it's inspiring people or enthusing people or just having a great horticultural banter generally has really makes me tick it's sharing it and Matt I have to say last year I you don't know what you're missing until it's gone right and I was in tears for the most of last year when we were closed because of Covid and I just really missed sharing it and it was so great to reopen again and to be talking about plants with people so yeah I think we've inspired a few people by doing the garden and above, above all going in the wild to see these plants, seeing the conditions that they're experiencing, what they're growing in soil or growing as an epiphyte in a tree, whatever it might be, seeing these plants in the wild to try and translate a little bit of that at Lullingston with a little bit of tweaking and excellent husbandry to try and grow these different types of plants has really inspired me and visitors. They can't believe what we grow in a cold valley in Kent by just sticking to a couple of rules. And and that really has been an inspiration to me and other people. Talking about what they what they grow in, there's a big debate at the moment about peat and you know what plants can and can't grow in in terms of peat and peat free. I guess you you have, have have sort of pushed the boundaries about what plants can grow in out of their natural environment. So what's your experience of that? 
Absolutely. What has amazed me is you go into, say, parts of Tasmania with quite an acid soil or a lot of places in the world, often quite neutral to acid soil, seeing all these plants that are growing and thinking, wait a minute, I've seen that in the UK growing. I mean, an unusual strawberry tree, for example, a, a madrona from Mexico growing in a soil that really you wouldn't, ex- in an acid soil in a site that you wouldn't expect it to be growing in the Copper Canyon in North Mexico, growing fantastically well here. So it is amazing to me how many plants actually in our quite alkaline, albeit alluvial, yes, but it is alkaline soil that translate really to growing fantastically well here. And Pete, we've never been a, a great peat user particularly however there is one set of plants that at the moment there is no substitute for peat so I'm, I'm really I've got, I've got to say this and that's the carnivorous plants the saracenias the venus flytraps the darlingtonias and the drosseras the sundews they have really struggled we've done a whole experiment of mixing things up with using a bit of peat and you're not using peat the minute you take peat out of the substrate for growing these plants, whether it's in a trough or a raised bed or sunken in a water garden, however you grow these plants, without peat, I found that they've really, really struggled in my experience. But they're looking into lots of substitutes for that. So, but otherwise, we don't particularly use peat. And I'm just amazed at how plants grow when you see things in the wild or how other people grow them in the UK in a completely different setting. Cornwall in a mild valley, an acid soil and hardly a frost down in the West Country. How many plants just adapt when they shouldn't really be able to survive here is very impressive. No, indeed. No, thanks for that, Tom. And that has been a, a fascinating insight. Now, what I always ask at the end of these podcasts to all our guests is what is your desert island plant and i guess you, as as well traveled as you are you um a better place than many to um to answer this it's a terrible question so many options i think the thing i've got to say is but people might be quite surprised at this not that it would be an orchid which it is an orchid but the lovely moth orchid the f- pure white phalaenopsis hybrid with the yellow center has to be my choice i love that you get it everywhere i know but i absolutely adore that phalaenopsis that brilliant glistening white petals and then that yellow stripy red center gorgeous classic moth orchid. Now, thank you very much to Tom Hart Dyke from Rollingstone Castle World Garden. I'm Matthew Appleby and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And if you're interested in producing a podcast with Hort Week, contact me, matthew.appleby at haymarket.com. Once again, Thanks and goodbye for now. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.